Hello and welcome to the Lancet Global Health Podcast. I'm Mandy Bordula, it's the 12th of December 2019 and today I'm talking to Dr Luke Allen, Academic Clinical Fellow at the University of Oxford, about his recently published paper, A Geopolitical Analysis of the Implementation of Non-Communicable Disease Policies in 151 Countries. Thank you for joining us, Luke. Thank you for having me on, Mandy. NCDs, including cancer, cardiovascular diseases, chronic respiratory diseases and diabetes, are a huge public health problem, responsible for 41 million deaths worldwide each year. That's 71% of all deaths. After a slow start, NCDs began receiving high-level political support, and in 2015, 193 countries committed to reduce premature NCD deaths by one-third by 2030 as part of the Sustainable Development Goals. Making this goal a reality in the next 10 years will require concerted action from governments and all sectors of society around the world. Luke, before we talk more about your study, could you give us some background on the policy options that WHO recommends for governments to tackle the NCD crisis? It started really back in 2013 when the WHO released its NCD Global Action Plan that contained Appendix 3, which was a what they called a menu of policy options. And you can look that up online if you want to, and you'll see that some of them are highlighted in bold. And they're the policies that the WHO singled out as being highly cost-effective, uh, which they took as being uh, producing an extra year of healthy life for less than the average GDP per capita. And these have become known as the Best Buys, which has been the focus of lots of my research in the last few years. And they also form the basis of what's presented in the NCD Progress Monitors. And the 2017 version of that is what we used for, for this study. And so these policies mainly cover the four main risk factors for NCDs, as well as some uh, guideline-y things. So we've got uh, 18 policies overall, instituting national clinical guidelines, having action plans, uh, routinely collecting mortality data and risk factor surveys, setting national targets, and then a host of uh, population-level interventions around tobacco, alcohol, unhealthy foods, and physical activity. So things like uh, setting taxes, having graphic warnings on cigarette packages, restricting who and where you can buy alcohol, um, reducing salt, reducing trans fats, reducing saturated fats, and regulations around selling breast milk substitutes and unhealthy foods to children. So those kinds of policies mainly aimed at risk factors. So what led you to do this research? My work in the past, as I've mentioned, has been around these best buy policies and who is implementing them and why. And we've got really quite good level information about what individual countries are doing. So for instance, uh, you could pull up a profile for Malta or the Czech Republic or France and be able to work out uh, which of those policies they had implemented. But no one had really looked at what was happening globally. We had no idea whether most countries were doing most of these things or if any of them were being systematically overlooked. And the other issue that I kept coming across was these uh, N of one case studies where people were citing, uh, for instance, the USA uh, not implementing a particular policy because it constrained market activity or citing the Nordic countries as having high levels of social solidarity and that was why they were so good at NCDs. Um, and so these kind of geopolitical factors like uh, tax rates or how democratic or autocratic a country was uh, being strongly correlated with implementation, but really there was, it was an evidence-free zone. So we wanted to also um, explore and see if there's any truth underneath 
those anecdotal examples which seem to actually be influencing policy decisions. So you found that most that the application of most policies increased between 2015 and 2017, but just under half of all policies are being implemented overall. Can you tell us about most frequently implemented policies? Do they have any that stand out? And why do you think the remaining policies are being endorsed by governments but not put into practice? Yeah, it's it was really striking, actually. And just to start at the end of that question and work backwards, countries all over the world have repeatedly signed documents and made commitments uh, to reducing deaths from NCDs, and they've repeatedly signed documents endorsing uh, these policy options as being the central plank of of addressing NCDs. So it is, it is really remarkable that fewer than half of them have been implemented. And it's a little bit like uh, there's a raging fire in the living room of all of these countries and the governments are in the room staring at this fire which is getting out of control. And right next to them they've got all these different uh, tools available to put it out. So they've got a hose, they've got a bucket, they've got a water pistol, they've got a fire extinguisher, there's a whole paddling pool. And in most of those countries, they've thrown one of those things. Maybe they've thrown a bucket of water on the fire. It's not done much, but they're just stood there watching the blaze get out of hand, despite the fact that they've got all of these policies and they're not implementing them. When we look at the ones which have been most widely implemented, they tend to be the most apolitical and the easiest to implement. They're mainly paper-based. So four of the top five most widely implemented are clinical guidelines, risk factor surveys, national action plans and setting national targets. Now, you could get one civil servant in an afternoon to uh, make four Word documents and publish those, and then you'd meet the requirements. So that's pretty easy to do, although let's admit it, that would be a, a poor way of doing it, and many of the countries that have done this have done it very well. But all of the bottom half of the table are policies that constrain in one way or another profitable vectors of disease. So things targeting alcohol or tobacco or the sale of unhealthy foods. And so it's striking that really anything that involves confronting industry seems to be much harder to implement than things that don't uh, involve engaging with the more kind of messy uh, political and commercial determinants there. Your study also challenges some common assumptions about countries that would be expected to do well and those that might be expected to do badly. So it's quite surprising to see Costa Rica and Iran, both middle-income countries, scoring highest in policy implementation overall. What does this tell us and what can be learned from the countries that are doing well? Yeah, that, that was, um, it was a pleasant surprise to see um, some countries that you wouldn't necessarily think of as uh, leading lights in global health doing really very well on the league table that we've produced. What does that tell us? Well, we looked at a number of factors, um, including the standards of GDP and your region and how democratic you were. And when we put all of those things into a multiple linear regression model, we explained about 60% of the variance in score. So clearly that leaves a lot of room for um, what you might think of as anomalous results or slightly surprising countries. So lots of former Soviet states did very well. Countries like um, Slovenia and uh, Georgia and we've got the Russian Federation and even Moldova doing very well and Lithuania all in the top 20 and Estonia. And then countries which have very good life expectancy like Japan coming halfway down the table and the USA performing poorly as well. So I, I think you can't take for granted which countries are going to do well in terms of policy implementation, nor can you with complete confidence, uh, say how a country is going to perform just based on their geopolitical characteristics.
but at the same time, the bottom of the table really was very um, densely populated with sub-Saharan African countries, uh, which seem to be facing a unique set of barriers, really, in implementing these policies and maybe need additional help in terms of moving forward. And so talking a bit more about social, political and economic factors and policy implementation, and what struck you most about the nature of the relationship between national political characteristics and implementation of NCD policies? In the simple linear regression, we found that being undemocratic, being low income, having a low tax rate and being based in sub-Saharan Africa was associated with low implementation scores and vice versa. But when we put all of these factors into one model uh, together, so that's multiple linear regression, we found that there was a high degree of collinearity. Uh, that means that lots of these factors actually overlap and are measuring the same thing. And it seemed to be that the, the key ingredient was really human capital. That is to say, uh, the one thing that you would want to use to predict whether or not a country was going to implement policies was the degree to which, over the previous decades, that government had invested in its, in its population, in education and in healthcare. And countries that had done that the most tended to have higher scores. And altogether, the model explained about 60% of the variance in scores. Just uh, human capital alone explained just over 50%. Great. So finally, this is the first study of its kind, giving us a near global overview of the current state of play in NCD policy implementation. With a decade left to achieve the NCD-related SDG goals, what do you think needs to be done next? Well, it's sobering, isn't it? I think we're quite a long way off in most countries from meeting sustainable development goal, um, the target 3.4, which is reducing premature mortality from NCDs by a third by 2030. I think our research carries two messages. The first is that sub-Saharan African countries face a double burden of disease, and that might be part of the reason why very few of these countries have done anything around unhealthy foods, uh, which are mainly around junk foods and advertising. And it might be that governments there feel that they've been trying to get uh, their populations to consume more calories. And maybe they haven't quite realized that overconsumption is as much the problem as it is in some settings, although that's a gross generalization. Um, these countries also need additional resources in terms of clinical services, which in our research was measured by cardiovascular disease stratification and the availability of essential medicines, which again is very low in these countries. Um, but then for everywhere else, as well as for sub-Saharan Africa, it's quite a simple message, which is we've got a clear set of universally affordable policies that all countries have signed up to implement, and that's in order to meet universally um, agreed targets. It's around constraining the sale, the accessibility and the availability of unhealthy products that are being foisted on populations and leading to premature death. And if Bulgaria and Costa Rica can do it, then so can China, the USA, India, Russia and Nigeria. Um, and most of the stragglers, it comes down to this dark political choice, confronting industry and vested interest groups. And that is the challenge as we move forward, really. Thank you so much for joining us, Luke. It was a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to know more about this study, you can find it online in the latest issue of The Lancet Global Health, along with a linked comment by Sandeep Kishore and Usnish Majumda discussing the findings.